0: The Start, On
1: Demand. Demand.
2: Today on The Start, we finally learned who is taking over for Bob Irving as the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Also today, we had our monthly interview with Premier Heather Stephenson. We talked to her about the Emergencies Act, about the protest on Broadway, and how do we heal the divide in our community? I Love to Read month continues, and we had another wonderful conversation today with a local author who is working very hard to ensure that oral history is not something that is lost. And we had some fun chatting about the unusual skills or talents we might have. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Wednesday, February 23rd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And indeed, we are watching... Very, I was scanning Environment Canada's <laughs> website to see, because the threshold is different, right, Loren, depending on the jurisdiction and where you are for school cancellations. Like in the Winnipeg area, we mentioned the forks because school divisions, the threshold for them, I think, they go by what it, what it is at the forks. So what is it? The temperature either has to be minus 35 yep. or the wind chill has to be minus 45.
3: Or both. Yeah. Like just if it's that cold, then they cancel it. But they go by the forks. So you're almost there at the airport. But if you're at the forks, no, you're not. So Winnipeg schools are likely not going to see any cancellations, although they might see the odd bus, depending on where they're at. If you go farther north outside of Winnipeg, they might they have the threshold changes again, because, of course, the temperature might often reach colder temperatures. And so they might have it a bit higher. And then, of course, outside the city, it's the same threshold, minus 45 windshield or minus 35 temperature. But they go off different readings from different locations based on where you are. And I have to say, I picked up my kids yesterday and they said, there'll be no school tomorrow. And I'm like, yes, there will. And because we've had 10 snow days, I think, or nine, I can't remember now, 10, I think. And I said, yes, there will. And they said, no, it might be too cold. And I said, no, it won't. And then I looked, I pulled over and looked at the Environment Canada app and I said, ah, it might be. Gosh. So, yes, by 6.15, uh, we usually start to see things roll in, and um, I don't know if we have any yet, Brett.
2: No, I haven't seen any come in just yet, uh, but I will. we'll keep an eye on that. Usually, like you said, by 6.15, if there are going to be any, like looking at Steinbeck, for example, the reading there uh, observed at Kleefeld at 6 a.m., minus 36 for the temperature with a wind chill at minus 47. Either way, no matter what you I mean, even as minus twenty-seven at the Greg, it's still exactly not pleasant.
1: No, and Kayla had uh, the nerve to call it chilly. I think that was tongue in cheek, but uh, got my ire up. And and you know, this is just cold. And I, yeah, I get it. I'm waiting for the text messages. Come on, guys, it's Manitoba. It gets cold. Yeah, but this is this is uh, now the uh, a string of cold weather that's lasted about a week, and with the snow, I think we can all agree that we're done with this. I'm looking ahead to Friday. It was, you know, the forecast has already changed for Friday. It was supposed to be minus 10. It's not that much different, but minus 13 is, you know, is a difference from minus 10. I'm looking at Saturday, Environment Canada saying minus 5, but who knows what kind of wind is going to come with that. But things are looking progressively better, so we just need to get through today and tomorrow, and then I think perhaps we can start thinking about really enjoying things outside and enjoying all this
2: snow that has been, been delivered from above. So we will keep an eye on the cancellation watch. Oh. oh, do you have one? Just
1: got one here from Brandon here.
2: Ah, there it is. Okay, Brandon, yes, I uh, was wondering if that was going to come in. Uh, Brandon School Division bus is not operating outside the city of Brandon. Uh, Alexander O'Kelly and Spring Valley schools are closed. Buses will be running within the city of Brandon. So that's the first one. We'll see what else we get this morning, and we will share those with you and get those up at uh, cjob.com and globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg. Also today, one of the things we're watching, Loren, is uh, we. I was shocked yesterday. I was kind of surprised. I saw Brittany Greenslade, our global colleague, tweeted about this. Police issuing the warning that the debt, the clock is ticking.
3: Yeah, and you just heard in the newsroom with Jeff Braun that the Winnipeg police are going to slowly start to, well, starting today, push the remaining protesters that are down at the ledge and have been protesting for several weeks now over mandates, going to start pushing them out. And I'm fascinated to see what tools they might use to do this, because one of the things that was mentioned in the story is that they could use some of the emergency powers that are under the act that that has been invoked in the last week. But... They might also ticket you for noise bylaws or traffic violations, which are laws that have been on the books for years. So we'll see how tickets get handed out and what Winnipeg police do down there. I mean, you go by there every day, Brett. What's left down there? Like, who's remaining? How many people? What kind of vehicles do you get a sense that's there?
2: So it looks like they... I would say that whatever was there yesterday, half of it looked like it was gone this morning when, we, when I rolled past in my cab at around 4 a.m. Because yesterday think yesterday, there were still two tractors parked right in front of the legislative grounds, and there were still some some big rigs and what have you, but I didn't... Now, again, keep in mind, I rolled past in a taxi. I was in the area for like 10 seconds, but I didn't see a single big rig. I saw one tractor. There were still several vehicles on Memorial. like uh, I saw some RVs and some trailers, uh, but it looks like they're, they're already starting... To clear out. So I'm curious to know what's gonna be left at five o'clock this afternoon. And I know Global That's the uh, deadline,
3: right? Sorry, Brett. But five PM was what the police said in that letter.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Five o'clock. And I know Global's uh Corey Callahan. Uh, Greg, you say that he's uh he's there this morning, he's at the legislative ground?
1: Corey is at the ledge. I haven't seen any any uh, pictures
2: or, or video
1: from there yet i'm curious if those two gigantic one canadian one american flags still there
2: brad oh shoot i didn't see those today but i again like i was just trying to sorry, i was trying to count and just see what was there sure. but yeah that you'd you'd think that if those were still there i would have spotted that so because they stand, just- it's hard to miss them <laughs>
1: Well, I'm just interested what uh, your uh, reaction was to what came out from police because, you know, Loren and I living where we live, this is absolutely a a new story because it affects our community, but this affected you a little bit differently. Are you surprised that they're making this move?
2: Uh, Kind of, yeah, because for – it seems like it, that they've been keeping to themselves. I don't live in the immediate area. I live across the bridge. Noise has not been a factor for me for a week and a half. They were they went hard for five days, and then they calmed down. Uh, but for those who live in the immediate area, area, I'd be curious to know. And if you do live in that area, feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. But, like, I went down there on Sunday afternoon to have a peek, and they were quiet. They were, you know, there were a couple of dozen people outside. There was one guy who was outside. It was. My 25 the wind chill minus 38 uh, Def Leppard's hysteria was playing On the stereo they had set up he's out there Dancing in his shorts having a good Time and I thought well see this this is This is a peaceful protest they're not making Any noise they're not getting in the way They're just sharing their message people Are honking in support or whatever uh, So I didn't have a problem with that As protests surrounding COVID mandates and vaccination requirements slowly disperse, as Loren referenced a moment ago, the work to heal those deep pandemic-related divisions in our communities is just beginning. Global's Brittany Greenslade, who heard a little bit from her in Jeff's newscast, here she is with more.
4: We must rise up. From fear to frustration to anger, opinions on COVID-19 vaccines and restrictions have separated many.
5: The situation in Ottawa just exemplifies what's actually been going on in communities, and our community is no different. Uh, the community has been extremely divided.
4: Winkler Mayor Martin Harder says the damage, deeply rooted feelings, will have on our society is going to take a long time to heal.
5: When you're looking at the at the conditions uh, or uh, the restrictions being reduced, how are you going to get into a merged society? And that, to me. Is the biggest challenge that we will face.
4: For community leaders, moving forward means taking simple, small steps to start.
6: Can I shovel my neighbor's driveway? Can I bake cookies for my daughter-in-law, whom I disagree with? Can I have somebody, can I meet in a restaurant, can I go for a walk with someone who I previously wouldn't have?
4: Associate Pastor Kyle Penner says people need to be reminded of their connections instead of their differing opinions.
6: We all can kind of like walk a little bit off of our ledges and our, and our camps and take one step towards meeting together as humans. That's a good sign.
4: In Winkler, Mayor Harder is asking people to come together through prayer tomorrow night at dusk and to do what Canadians do best, apologize.
5: I think a heartfelt, uh, in the heart, saying I'm sorry for the attitude that I have. It doesn't need to mean that you change your position, but I'm sorry for how I treated you. And that is the biggest thing that is going to bring us together.
4: Penner says COVID took away common ground for many. And he's hopeful if people get back to doing things they enjoy and love and doing it together, they can move forward.
0: We will start to remember
6: that we are humans together. And so I'm hoping that even the simple act of us showing up to these places together, be it churches or theaters or sporting events, we start to do some of these things together again. We will remember, oh, right, you're not my enemy. You're my neighbor.
4: And the divide will grow smaller. Brittany Greenslade, Global News.
3: So vaccine passport requirements, they lift on Tuesday. That's just a few days away. The mask mandate lifts March 15th. The easing uh, restrictions, it actually comes pretty much at the two-year anniversary of COVID in this province and I think it might be hard for many of us to remember that two years ago the message was that we are in this together. We need to work together to protect one another. And so there were some comments in that story just uh, there by Brittany Greenslade that talked about maybe that's how we get out of it by being together. I like I, I like the message from the associate pastor Kyle Penner in that story about the idea that so much more will change in terms of just coming together period, whether it is those restaurants Trips, or having coffee with somebody that you couldn't have had before, or going to that sporting event that that might start helping with healing that divide, and maybe asking that question: Is there someone that you need to apologize to? No matter which side or how you've landed on this, maybe those are words that you need to think about saying. I don't know. We'll speak more with the pastor at seven o'clock, but I do like the idea. Not the pastor, sorry, the mayor of Winkler at 7 o'clock. But I do like the idea, Greg, that, that we will be changing because just by the very nature of being together and how are we, we going to act when we come together in that way.
2: Global did a story on a B.C. rocker with a rather unusual pandemic pivot. He started a repair business for typewriters. <laughs> Two worlds of Brendan Raftery, supercharged rock singer by night, mild-mannered typewriter repairman by day. His new interest was sparked last year when his daughter noticed this relic sitting on the shelf that Brendan had kept for the past 23 years.
7: Dad, what is that thing? (laughs) How do you plug it in? And uh, does it work? Since then, he's taught himself how to bring them back to life, saving all kinds of models from the scrap heap. This one's Russian-German. All over number five. It's from 1913. My favorite is the uh, Torpedo 18B. Ah,
2: oh, yes, you got to love the Torpedo 18B. To see that full story, by the way, from Global's Jay Durant, head to globalnews.ca. So that has us thinking... Do you got any unusual skills or talents? Maybe some party tricks? Or maybe you don't have any skills or talents. Maybe you once tried your hand at a talent show and failed miserably, and you wanted to share that story and bring back some awful memories uh, for our amusement. Rick Mercer tickets up for grabs just for Laughs Comedy Night in Canada. Burton Cummings Theatre, Friday, May 13th. We'll pick a winner at 915. Text us at 204-780-6868. Let's go around the horn here. Producer Jeff Fortier, why don't we start with you, sir? I cannot. Uh... Drink a beer and play the drums at the same
8: time. <laughs> that takes skill, man.
3: How? Like with like you like you're using both hands to drum and you drink. Like what's going on? Is it like a, one stick. of those hats where the straw comes in your mouth?
8: <laughs> no, stick in my right hand, beer in my left hand, and you just you go at it. And just, uh, you know, make sure because one time during band practice, I did swallow a cigarette butt in a beer. So <laughs> I didn't swallow. I, I didn't swallow the butt itself, but I swallowed the ashes and the,
7: the trail in the beer. So. Uh,
8: <laughs> you gotta be uh, careful uh, <laughs> that takes skill my friend it takes skill
2: Kevin Poitras
8: uh, oh goodness uh, I was really hoping you wouldn't pick me uh, I was um, <laughs>
2: you didn't have to I, I, sign into the
8: chat
7: <laughs> well okay. what am
8: I supposed to do I get this email in the morning this is what we're talking about um, uh, trying to support the program here guys and having coffee talking I, I'll try anything once um uh like i'll i i'll I'll give anything a shot um and usually my attention span lasts for me to get somewhat decent and competent at something and then i'll move on to the next thing i it's like a like a fishbowl uh not a fishbowl like a, a goldfish uh Goldfish mind. Like, I'll get, okay, now I understand it. I get the mechanics of it. I, I know enough that I can sort of get by at it. And uh, then I'll just go, oh, shiny new bobble over here. So that, I don't know if anyone else is like that, but that's how I am.
2: <laughs> same year, same year. Jeff Ron, what about you? Uh,
0: when I'm by myself, I can juggle fairly well uh three things, not four. I can't do four, but I can juggle three. But as soon as I try and do it in front of anybody, I just can't do it. <laughs> it just, I, it lasts like three seconds and then i drop everything so i i brag to my friends oh i'm a pretty good juggler and they're like "Well, I prove it and i just never can so uh you'll just have to take my word for that i one. don't believe it i don't believe it i need to see this <laughs> well, you'll that... have to set up a secret camera in my house without me knowing it so i won't have the, the pressure <laughs> of the we'll have the stage fright
2: <laughs> uh greg mackley what about you
0: Oh boy, I'm
1: kind of in cam's corner here. I would just have assumed uh, been in the bathroom for this segment, I think. Um, look, I have special I, talent my... in there. <laughs> <laughs> You'll need to install a camera to find out. Um, I have brothers who are terrific dancers. Two of my three brothers can juggle very well. I can do neither. Uh, My only party trick really is uh, I can somehow uh, dance with a drink on my forehead, uh, dance around in a circle without spilling a drop. It's absolutely nothing to be proud of, but something I get called on to do every once in a while. And I don't think anybody's laughing with me. I'm pretty sure they're laughing at me.
2: I would like to see that. That's fun. And uh, Loren, what about you?
3: Well, so I used to be able to play the piano and then about 15 years ago, and then I stopped for like decades. And then I had a a cousin get married and I said I'd, you know, learn this song and play at their wedding. And then that's pretty much the only song I've learned besides, uh, Jeff Braun's challenge to play the tears song last year. So I, it's not a hidden talent, but I can play like the beginnings of a lot of songs, but I can't remember the end. And so often I'll just sit down and, and play like 15, starts all together like a mashup or a medley and so i think i would just continue to do that and sort of like combine these songs together with my love of the elderly i love talking to older people and so i think i would just offer my skills to a senior's home and go in and just have them guess what the heck i'm trying to play and see if that was some sort of game so it's not like a hidden talent but i think there's a way to make that work somehow i just haven't figured out what it would be or if it would pay Oh, or and, if anyone want to listen to it,
2: I'd want to listen to it. Oh, and portraits. Uh, this one, the for me, the the only other talent I have outside of anything useful is uh, I can kind of impersonate Gollum from Lord of the Rings.
8: Yeah, I know you serenaded with that with that with me once, and I was very impressed.
2: <laughs> uh, some people get creeped out when I do it because it's. Uh, <laughs> It's well, it depends when you do it. The <laughs> Thieves, the Thieves, <laughs> <It's good. laughs> the Little Thieves. I want to continue the conversation on uh, healing the divide because, Loren, we are just days away from some pretty big changes in this province.
3: Yeah, so as we were just saying about a half hour ago, as of March 1st, you will no longer have to show proof of vaccination to get into public venues. And yeah, there might be some businesses who decide to still ask for that vaccine card. That might might happen in some occasions. But in theory, more people are coming together, whether you like it or not. And we're wondering how everyone's feeling about that this morning. Are you ready for that change? Are you ready for the conversations that might come out of that change you know, mask mandates lift March 15th. You might continue to wear one, you might not, but you, you're going to get asked about that, your feelings. And I know we had someone just text us in the past couple of days at 780-6868 to say they're looking forward to going to coffee with one of their friends. They happen to be vaccinated. Their friend is unvaccinated and they just want to go hang out and have a coffee together like they used to. We've also had people texting Greg to say they have friendships that are broken and might remain broken forever based on how they feel because they feel they did the right thing to get vaccinated and they don't want to apologize for that.
1: Yeah, these divides are very deep, uh, Loren. Those fractured relationships are everywhere and that devel- divide rather is being felt right across the country. Martin Harder is the mayor of Winkler, a community that's perhaps felt that divide as many, as, uh, as much as any in the country. Good morning, Mayor Harder.
5: Hey, good morning. It's good to be here
1: we appreciate you we've appreciated your uh, your willingness to join us throughout the pandemic so thank you for for spending some time with us this morning give us an idea of how divided your city has become over the last couple of years
5: well uh, i i guess it's built up over especially over the last year when everybody was sick and tired of where we were at a year ago already but as you know uh, the conditions continue to get worse and worse and we continue to face the storm and people, you know, you're right with families that are divided, uh, people who have refused to uh, have Christmas gatherings regardless if there was conditions or not uh, because of broken relationships. There's been uh, impact on churches, certainly impact on our community, and we've seen that. And uh, we just uh, believe that now is the time for healing, and we need to work on uh, on ourselves to make sure that that happens
3: how do we do that, Mr. Mayor? Because, you know, we had a listener just texting a few min- minutes ago to say, you know, just because we have these easing of restrictions March 1st and, and then again on March 15th, COVID doesn't go away. The conversation doesn't go away. Feelings about mandates don't go away. And, and they could come back. We don't know what the future holds. So, like, where do we start with all this?
5: Well, uh, as I said uh, uh, to the media locally here that's going to be coming out this morning, we're actually uh, wanting people to... To, we're calling it Dusk Prayer Wednesday. So at dusk, we want everybody to pray. And we have a really serious problem, I think, within ourselves to accept others the way they are. And I believe that uh, that is a common ground where we can get to and to ensure that uh, that we treat our neighbour with respect. I think one of the things that has really uh, uh, reduced is the amount of respect we have for others, regardless of what position we take. We have so, we've been so dug into the trenches that we refuse to look at others with a sense of respect and try to understand.
2: Having a disagreement is one thing, but um, when, like, some of the comments that you hear on both sides of the debate get really personal and downright hateful uh, to the point where it sometimes feels like there's no coming back from that. Uh, So for somebody who maybe doesn't want to come back from that because they've been hurt but is maybe willing to listen like how do you suggest that person move forward in a positive way
5: well i think for one thing when we when we harbor uh, bitterness and hurt within us it, it, your whole cloud looks or your whole sky looks cloudy it looks like there's a thunderstorm on the horizon when look at others with a sense of respect, and and really uh, it hits me as well where I look at, you know, how have I respected, uh, for example, my government? How have I respected, how have I looked at the media over the last uh, week in regards to the events that happened in Ottawa? Uh, you know, how do we deal with that? And it's very difficult to deal with when we just sit there and we harbour bitterness, bitterness, so we, that's what we need to deal with. And that's really why I called for a time of prayer to say, man, it's time to look in the mirror and say, what have we done, uh, first of all, to to prevent the, the, the virus from taking any impact? And, and believe me, we've all lost loved ones uh, because of it. That's not it at all. But how do we take the hatred away from, from the people who have made decisions that uh, that um, have felt the pressure to be able to to Try to control the virus from spreading, and and it goes both ways. And you you said it before; it's not easy to look at, it, at at the other side of it and see what that looks like. But I'll tell you, the divide is on both sides, and the bitterness and hatred that has developed is not just a one-sided thing. It's not just the protesters. Uh, it, you know, whether it's from people who are in the medical world looking at somebody else who has a different opinion, uh, they have been equally as uh, as pointed in their accusations.
1: All right. How do you want to? How do you want your community to come together tonight? Walk us through this, Mayor.
5: Well, at this point in time, uh, I, we don't have any formal and I'll call it a walk, but we want it to be a regular thing. But at dusk tonight, when the sun goes down, we are approaching a period of time in our life where we will need to merge back together as society. The sooner we do it, the better we're going to be. And I believe that we, as a community, need to examine ourselves and say, "How have I treated my neighbor?" There's opportunities, and if you know, we, we have it in our own uh, on my own street here where people go and shovel each other's driveways, where people have brought food over, where there are lots of opportunities that we as a community can show a sign of respect and to go out to our community and say, because we care.
2: We are asking you to tell us about your hidden talents, your unusual skills or talents for a chance to win some tickets for Rick Mercer at the Burton Cummings Theatre on May 13th. Adam says, my hidden talent, or as I like to call it, my secret power, is I can put my head down on a pillow, flat bedtime, and be completely (laughs) asleep within about 30 seconds. And it drives my wife absolutely crazy. And then you'll have a hard time waking me up within the first two hours of being asleep. But after that, every little noise, and I'm up, and then I'm fully up for the rest of the day
3: uh, i'm not jealous of his light sleeping after those first couple hours but that ability to nap is a skill man to put your head down and fall asleep quickly i wish i wish i could do that
1: mackling oh i was gonna say my power to sleep right now you, then. <laughs> I, I can i can i can sleep instantaneously i can the, the staying asleep for a long time difficult sleeping at night not as good but you know, at inopportune times and maybe advantageously on a long road trip or something, if I, if I feel tired and I've got a, take a nap i can absolutely do that anytime any place and it is uh yeah it's
2: it's it's a a skill i suppose i guess my skill on that front would be sleeping in unusual positions like yesterday i took what i called a plank nap where my butt was kind of on the edge of the couch and my legs were stretched out and my back was kind of on an angle so i was basically like a plank leaning against the couch for an hour um had a good sleep but it was hard to get up after that because my back was so sore i don't recommend doing that It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. The group of protesters that has been parked in front of the legislative building for the past couple of weeks are being told to move out by 5pm.
3: Yeah, so in that letter that was delivered by police to protesters yesterday, police indicated all vehicles, tractors, trailers, other things that are down there have until 5 today to leave, as you said, Brett, or face possible charges. From what we're hearing and seeing down there, it's starting to happen. Protesters are starting to leave. And depending on where you sit on this, you might be thinking, why were they allowed to stay so long? You might be asking, why do they have to go? Or or you might be thinking, and this is where I am right now, what's changed? Like, what's the difference between today and three weeks ago, ago, Greg?
5: You
1: know, Lauren, in that letter to protesters, the police have said they could potentially face charges under the Highway Traffic Act. Under the City of Winnipeg bylaws, they also said they have the authority to seize some equipment, potentially, based on new powers that are included under the Emergencies Act. That invoking of the act is something our next guest didn't believe was necessary. We say good morning to the Premier of Manitoba, Heather Stephenson. Good morning, Premier. Good morning. So you wrote a letter to the federal government asking for federal help with protests, but have also said the Emergencies Act is or was not required, what kind of help did you want or still want from the federal government?
9: Well, let's keep in mind what I actually asked for, and uh, that is uh, for the federal government to fix a problem that they created themselves. So um, that's what I was asking for in that letter, and certainly I don't believe that the Emergencies Act is, I think it's an overreach, and I still continue to maintain that. And uh, I think that, uh, as you just said, Um, The police has the ability to do this under the uh, City of Winnipeg bylaws, the Highway Traffic Act, the criminal code, uh, just the same way that the RCMP dealt with the situation at the Emerson border.
3: What is the problem that they created then, Madam Premier? Are you talking about the federal mandate for truckers then? That's exactly it. So you think that should be lifted and, and not happen?
9: Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I, you know, all across the country and, and all I asked for in the letter was for the prime minister to have discussions with President Biden as well. We know it's on both sides of the border. There's the a mandate. Um, they were exempt before uh, goods and service, goods could get uh, to markets uh, easily. And this was something that he created with uh, with respect to his mandate.
2: Listener Scott has this question that we want to run past you. Our governments, and this is a text message, our governments have spent almost $3 billion over the past to protect us against the next big flood. Time for us to put pressure on our federal and provincial governments to show that level of commitment to our health care. 75 ICU patients for a population of 1.5 million should not topple our system. So, Premier, are we going to see more dollars and serious dollars be put into our hospital system?
9: Absolutely, we will, uh, both provincially and also we have been calling on the federal government uh, in the way of the uh, the transfers to provinces to take this very, very seriously. The Canada Health Transfer is the number one priority for all provinces, all pre- prem- premiers across the country, and we will continue to call on the federal government to ensure that real dollars come forward. Uh, it was needed before COVID, and it's now needed more than ever.
1: We've been talking uh, this morning about healing the divide the divide that's grown in our community over COVID, vaccine mandates, and all sorts of different things, Premier. It's not just between average Manitobans. It also exists at the political level, maybe even within political parties themselves. How do we do this?
9: So it's, it's about reaching out. It's about listening to Manitobans uh, uh, all across this great province of ours. I did that during the leadership, and I'll continue to do that moving forward now as we're relaxing the the restrictions in Manitoba, I'm hoping to get out more and to, uh, to visit with more Manitobans in all areas of our province.
3: So, well, you know, one of the things that's been pointed out the last couple of days, we had a political science professor from Brandon University on, Kelly Saunders, speaking yesterday just about what's been going on in Ottawa, what's been going on across the country, and the fact that we too often, and this happens not just with what's going on with COVID and mandates, it happens often in government where there's the blame game, at who's responsible, pointing the fingers, passing the buck. One of our listeners just talks about passing the buck all the time. And, and that seems to happen over and over again. And so when we want to heal the, the divide, we have to take accountability. And if we circle back, we back to the protests that are taking place or have taken place at the legislative building or have taken place at Emerson, Madam Premier, you said you wanted the federal government to fix the problem they created and get rid of that federal vaccine mandate. So does that not suggest that if someone wants to protest and you support what they're protesting, they can just stick outside the ledge as long as they want, as long as it's something that you agree with? I mean, that that doesn't jive well with some of our listeners.
9: So... What I believe is that we need to give credit where credit is due, and I believe that the law enforcement officers on the front lines, uh, both at the Emerson border and uh, the Winnipeg Police Service, just outside my my window here at the legislature, who have been dealing with with the protests uh, outside here as well, they have done incredible work to to uh, you know to de-escalate a situation. We are very thankful because of their incredible work. So we didn't get to the situation that we saw in Ottawa. And so again, give credit where credit is due. Thank you to all of those incredible frontline workers for all the work that they've done to de escalate the situation and get us to where we are today.
2: We only have sixty seconds left here, Premier. But I mean this this group that's been in front of the legislative grounds for the last two and a half weeks, do you fear that a precedent has been set that anybody with a bone to pick is gonna as instead of showing up with a motorcade for two hours, is gonna set up shop for two weeks?
9: Look, I've been around to the of a legislature for more than twenty years. Uh there hasn't been one year that's gone by where there hasn't been protesters. We believe in the right for people to to protest. That is their 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 right. And uh that will continue beyond uh what has been happening over the course of the last couple of weeks. It's been going on for years, decades, and I'm sure it will continue and we and I do believe that they have the right to do that.
2: we are getting a flood of reaction to our conversation Lorraine McNabb with Premier Heather Stephenson.
3: And it's fascinating because on one hand you'll have someone and we've had several texts to say oh man never asked a question, answered a question directly, didn't evaded the question or didn't get specifics in there and then, and then on the other you have listeners saying wow thank goodness for a level-headed premier who uh, opposed the emergency act because it's overreach and so that's it's, I'm so curious what people hear when they listen to things and how it can be so deeply different, Greg. But one of the things that stood out for me from that interview was the fact that we talked about the protest down there. And, the, Brett, you asked the question about a precedent being set. And, you know, if, if you can stay outside the ledge for three weeks, four weeks at a time, you know, does that continue going forward? And it felt like because this is something she agreed with, she, was, she herself doesn't agree with the vaccine mandate for truckers, then the protest is... Okay. And and that's what I heard out of that. And so it just depends on where you're sitting in terms of what your take your takeaway is.
2: And uh, I'm just going to have a little little chat with listener Bob here. Um, Bob says protests are all right. People living near the ledge need to toughen up. You don't move near an airport and complain about the plane complain about the planes. I referenced this a couple of weeks ago after, because the protesters went hard for five days with the honking of the the truck horns and the train horns. And I alluded to the fact that when I... Moved to where I now live, uh, Osborne Village, just, a cr- just not far from the legislative grounds. I learned very quickly that it's Protest Alley. And yes, there are frequent protests. People will show up for a couple of hours, often in the form of a motorcade. And they'll honk their horns and you just kind of get used to it. But it's okay because, you know, they're going to go away for, you know, after a couple of hours. Five days straight, they honk their horns, 12 hours a day on average and it was merciless it was relentless it was insane and i would suggest that anybody who says oh it's not that big a deal if those same protesters showed up outside your home parked down the street and honked their horns for 12 hours or if you know somebody showed up with a hundred of their friends with air horns and vuvuzelas and went for 12 hours a day uh that's not i don't think you should have to toughen up to put up with that so just wanted to get that off my chest greg what else have we got
1: uh, David sent us a text here. And full disclosure, I edited the first point of David's text because he made an assertion, I believe to be correct mathematically, but I need to double check before sharing it on the air. So David says, I will no longer be going to Jets games or restaurants or any large gatherings. I no longer feel safe in my own province. That's how I feel about the premier removing all restrictions without any scientific data shown to back up her actions. Not my premier, says David.
3: Yeah, that's going to be another part of the thing going forward. And I think, you know, as we lift, first of all, March 1st is the lifting of vaccine passport requirements. So public spaces no longer will have to ask for that as of Tuesday. And that's happening in other provinces. And, you know, that's, that's the way we're going. But I do think that there is a section of the population that might not like that or want that as much as there are those who are happy to do away with their their cards or those who are happy to be able to go places that they might not have been able to. I wonder what section of the population is saying, hang on, I might think differently about how I do things. Or if there are businesses out there who might be saying, I might still ask for this. You know, I was at a hair salon the other day and I said to one of the stylists are you still going to wear your mask or what are you feeling about the are you excited to be able to take the mask off soon and they indicated that they might keep wearing it just because they kind of liked the protection that came with it not just for COVID but maybe for other things when they're in and around their customers and so I you know just because there's a deadline or a change coming Tuesday I don't know if we'll automatically see that change and it certainly doesn't change the way the people feel one of our listeners says yeah you can lift the mandates and you can you can lift the passport requirement and you can lift masks but doesn't change the fact that COVID is still here. It's not like as of Tuesday, it's gone. And so there are going to be all sorts of different feelings as we approach uh, March 1st deadline.
2: Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb for this next segment. I'm just going to pretend CJOB.com does not exist (laughs) Because, uh, because a couple of people have already spotted something there that wasn't supposed to be there for 47 years. Bob Irving was synonymous with Winnipeg Blue Bomber football for the better part of five decades, five decades. His descriptions of the action on the field brought Winnipeg Stadium or IG Field into your car cottage or kitchen his touchdown calls from stadiums across canada created a symphony of cheers at the campground and a collective excitement across manitoba
1: yeah last december as we all know by now bob called his final game at ig field it was the western final between the blue bombers and saskatchewan rough riders bob had never before called a west final in winnipeg prior to last season The previous last West final in Winnipeg featured the Riders and Blue Bombers way back in 1972. So this creates some poetry, our announcement today, and some full circle kismet here. As we introduce to you the new play-by-play voice of the Winnipeg Football Club right here on CJOB, Bob Irving was born in Saskatchewan. He has become a proud Manitoban. On December fifth, as a Saskatchewan born boy was calling the game for the Winnipeg broadcast, in the broadcast booth next door was a longtime Winnipeg, longtime Winnipegger calling the game for Saskatchewan broadcasts. Beginning this season, that Winnipegger by choice comes home. Loren,
3: it is our pleasure to welcome back to Winnipeg the new voice of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor. Good morning, Derek. How does that sound?
0: uh daunting uh but professionally <laughs> read by the three of you so honestly really good well
1: we, re- we read it just as you wrote it Derek uh, well done <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I, I I put the stresses on some slightly different words so we'll work at it for the one year anniversary but uh, I'm super got, I'm super excited uh, I mean uh, I mean when I look at the, the people that are joining on cgoB and notably you three in the morning i I am just deliriously happy.
1: Well, DT, first of all, congratulations. You're well-known in sports circles for your dedication to not only the broadcast piece of the job, but also for digging into the numbers behind the numbers, the fancy stats that some people like to call them. One number you should likely get used to is 97, as in Doug Brown, the Hall of Famer and Analyst, your new partner. Doug Brown, meet Derek Taylor. Derek Taylor, Doug Brown.
5: <laughs>
10: it's like it's like the first time all over again, but... uh <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, Derek, you know, anytime anybody quits their job in Saskatchewan and comes to Winnipeg, you automatically become a personal hero of mine. So thank you very much for that. <gasps> so me and Nick Dembski, hey, we're, we're both okay. I well, like that. that works oh, great. the pipeline. The pipeline <laughs> right? continues. Claris, Willie yes. Jefferson, Newfield, Dembski, it was inevitable that, you know, we would get this kind of talent from Saskatchewan, so I, I couldn't be happier on many many levels. Well, hey, Doug, are I there
1: am... any broadcast? Sorry, Derek, I'm jumping in here because because yeah. uh, you'll learn very quickly working with Doug. He has lots to say. I know you do as well, but we've got limited time with with Browner here. Hey, Doug, are there any broadcast booth rules you'd like to lay down here and now? As dt is the rookie and you're the vet so you get to speak first
10: this time oh boy i have to i have to think about that because you know bob had all these rules about you know don't touch his popcorn and i could only borrow one pen every day and all these kind of things so i'm really gonna have to i have to sit down and think about this i've never been in a power of of uh, a leverage situation before so i'm going to make sure i exploit that fully
2: now derek bob irving could not join us this morning but he does have something he'd like to say
0: hey derek it's bob irving i just wanted to welcome you home and congratulate you on becoming the new voice of the blue bombers you've landed at a terrific radio station with nothing but good people to work with and you're going to be covering a pretty good football team i might add a team that operates in a very professional and classy way have fun i know you will no pressure hey derek (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> None whatsoever. Bob started calling football games the year I was born, but no pressure, right? Yeah. No, that's, I, I'm so happy to hear Bob's voice as I always was on the radio. And I was, I mean, the, the last two Western finals you mentioned were the Bombers and the Riders. And I was, Bob was in our stadium, but now, and then I was in his stadium. And yeah, I was, it's, it's an honor to have worked to, you know, to be a peer of Bob Irving and now to take over for him. I, I, it's going to be fantastic. I'm so happy.
3: So, Derek, when's the move happen? Because we like to, you know, Greg likes to harp on the Saskatchewaners, Saskatchewanites. I don't even know what Saskatchewanians. Doug was making the point there about you coming east. So when does it happen, and and how are you getting prepped to learn more about the bombers than you did the riders?
0: Okay, so true story. Two nights ago, I spent 90 minutes compiling and analyzing Mike O'Shea coin flip data. (laughs) <laughs> what he does, when he wins the toss, when he loses. Oh, true story, because I kind of wanted to know, so I took it back to 2014. Uh, you'll be happy to know the, the Bombers win about half their coin flips, so that's that's standard. Um, it'll be just in time for training camp, uh, as it appears right now. Uh, hopefully enough time that I, I can get used to, you know, meet the people I don't know, reunite with old friends like Loren McNabb. So, um, yeah, it'll be in time for training camp. And then the first game that the Bombers play in the first game that I'll broadcast will be a preseason game right back in Regina, May 23rd, the Bombers and Riders. So uh, that's going to be a bit of a trip.
1: Yeah, we love poetry, and uh, that's very poetic, uh, Derek. Hey, Doug, getting back to the Saskatchewan thing here, I don't know how big a Friends fan you are, Derek, or, or Doug, but there is an episode early on where, where the, the the female characters on Friends get together and they burn all the stuff of that their old boyfriends had given them. Will there be a ceremonial, <laughs> a mandatory ceremonial burning of anything green and white required? I, I'm lobbying for this, DT, DB.
10: You know, you know, it's funny is. Uh, the the games. I just thought about the Labor Day Classic. How much more fun that's going to be now going there with Derek. So we're going to have to find. I'm going to call up Troy and get his old uh, bulletproof vest out, and we'll put that on Derek. He's going to be he's going to be public enemy number one down there. I'm happy to share that attention with him. It's going to be so much more interesting walking around uh, Regina with uh, with DT because. Uh, those people over there, they take these things personally. So this, uh, that's going to be so much more interesting now, that game. Let me tell you, I'm looking forward to it.
2: Well, gentlemen, we thank you both for joining us this morning. Derek, congratulations. Before we let you go, did, did anybody say to you, like when you said, hey, I think I'm going to apply for this job, did anybody say to you, are you nuts? Like, Why would you want to take
0: that job? Well, I think I think a lot of people want to know. Well, why would you why would you leave? You know, doing the Riders because it's it's. I mean, it, the fan base here is phenomenal. Love football. We were talking about football on the show yesterday, and people are are in on the conversation. And it's three months till the season starts. The passion for football here is is fantastic, and it's been nothing but great to me. I have nothing but love for the Riders and how they treated me in a in an awkward time, uh, and then an the awkward pandemic time. They've been fantastic to me, but. You know, sometimes you want to go home again. So that's that's kind of uh, what this move is all about for me. And you want to work with great people and great friends, and and that's another part of of joining CJOB. It will be for me.
2: Mackling,
1: DT, welcome aboard. Can't wait to uh, get together with you and and chat football. And uh, Doug Brown, thanks for making time on this very busy day for you. Uh, you're a champ, uh, even though you don't have a great cup ring. I love
5: you, no brother. Way. Wow. <laughs> Ooh.
10: Singer, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. Can't wait the next time I see you, Greg.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna put Doug on hold now oh, and, uh, and and say goodbye to Doug. Thank you, Doug and Derek Taylor. Welcome to 680 CJOB, the new voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you very much, guys. The new voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, DT Derek Taylor.
1: Yeah, nobody knows the numbers. Nobody knows the statistics inside out more than Derek. And uh, worked with Derek sort of briefly uh, way back in the days of the CGOB sports show, way back in the day when I would slide in for gym or, or do various things for Blue Bombers coverage on our show. And uh, Derek is so passionate about the CFL. And he has become, he's not from here. He's born in Red Deer, Ron McLean and Derek Taylor. That's not bad lineage for broadcasters. So Derek does come home in a sense. So this is, this is very poetic. I've used that word a couple of different times. Derek's going to be uh, an incredible addition, not only to the CJOB team, but the Blue Bomber team. Uh, w- what an honor for him. What an honor for us to have him here. Have him back in
2: Winnipeg. And just very quickly, the I mean, he's a former Global Winnipeg employee as well. Uh, he was on the morning. Uh, did you cross paths a lot with him when you were when you worked at Global?
3: Yeah. So Derek was the first. He and Eva Kovacs were the first co-hosts of the Global News Morning Show. Oh, which just celebrated its tenth anniversary. And so yeah, like he worked the mornings, and I was coming in later in the day. But the great thing about Derek, he referenced some of the stats he was googling there about or, and trying to sort out. Sorry. <clears throat> On coin tosses for Michael Shea. And we, if you watched Derek Taylor when he was with TSN, he also is a huge stats guy, likes to break down the numbers. And he does that for all sorts of things. And the great thing about him is it's not just a sports mind, it's just a, a curious mind. And so he'd often be dropping in numbers and facts and things into the newsroom for news stories because he'd be like, Hey, I just so you know, I did the numbers on the PST hike or, you know, something like that. And you'd be like, Oh, this is great info. So just a, just a curious mind makes for, Great calling of any issue, sports, or otherwise.
2: Often our coldest month, and across Canada, it is heart month. We all know cardiovascular health is important and chances are you know or even are one of the millions of canadians affected by heart disease what you might not know is how heart attack symptoms vary widely by gender and age and that no matter what the symptoms time is of the essence to get to st Boniface hospital for treatment
1: so tomorrow at noon, the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation will present the next edition of the Health Report 2.0, Virtual Conversations with St. B Leaders. As is the case this morning on the start, tomorrow's guest will be Dr. Shuangbo Liu, an interventional cardiologist, a clinician scientist, and an assistant professor with the University of Manitoba, and women's heart health champion. Good morning, Dr. Lu.
11: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, we appreciate you making time and taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Tomorrow, you and I will visit for almost an hour in a forum, which we invite all who are interested in a longer-form discussion on cardiac care issues to join us. This includes the upcoming Dial Don't Drive campaign. I'm not sure we can get that message out enough. Tell us a little bit about that.
11: Yeah, so this is perfect timing because we just launched yesterday. Um, and we are taking to both traditional media, such as radio, television, as well as on social media. So you'll be able to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as the Manitoba ACS Network. And our main message is for patients to know that if they need to seek help because they're having chest pain, it is better to do it sooner rather than later. Don't delay. And a second part of the message is to call 911 instead of driving themselves to the hospital. And I look forward to talking to you more and sharing more about this campaign tomorrow with the audience
3: Uh, i'm curious you know i personally do know people who have experienced uh, chest pains or strokes and they've driven themselves to the hospital but how common is that to have someone show up at the er doctor and have you know been experiencing a full-blown cardiac arrest or about to and they've they've taken themselves to the hospital
11: Yeah, so we definitely see that all the time. When we look at our own local data in Manitoba, we see that 53% of patients are calling 911, which means that half of the patients are choosing to drive themselves to the hospital. One of the things that we don't talk about very much is that with the very severe types of heart attack, 1 in 18 people will suffer a cardiac arrest. So they may not make it to the hospital. And so that's why I think this message is so important, and we are so passionate about sharing it with anyone who um, this
2: may apply to. Well, and it's not just, they're not just putting themselves at risk as well. If they're, they could be put, potentially putting other motorists at risk, right?
11: Yeah, definitely.
2: Now, women's heart health and the awareness of the differences in the symptoms of heart attacks for uh, men and women and the causes and treatment is a fairly new realization. What differences are important for all of us to know?
11: I think one thing that um, both healthcare professionals as well as patients are moving away from is the classic symptoms of chest pain, which is a heavy pressure in your chest with radiation to the neck, the jaw and people feeling like they can't breathe. That's not going to happen to everyone where all humans are different. And what we've realized in the last decade or so is that females present differently. And that means that our, you know, our females, um, family members, friends, they may not be experiencing that heavy pressure, but a more atypical symptom. It may be more burning, it may be more arm down, um, uh, sorry, pain down the arm, it may be more of a heaviness. So a lot of these unusual and atypical symptoms also need to be recognized, and that will also play a major role in our Dial Don't Drive campaign.
1: The uh, the Cardiac Sciences Program at St. Boniface Hospital, Dr. Liu, is uh, one of the top programs of its kind in the in the country uh, you had been in toronto but you've returned to winnipeg what what made you decide to come home
11: well winnipeg is home for me i um i've lived in winnipeg since i was nine i still keep in touch with my high school friends and i think that it it really says something that the the section of cardiology has welcomed me back uh, like you said i did all of my training here in winnipeg until i went to toronto for three years and i came back in september of 2020. So it's been about a year and a half. And it really it's about the, the family that, that keeps me grounded here. It is the support from the cardiac sciences program, the Department of Medicine at the university, as well as the foundation, who um, donors have been supporting my research since I've been back. And I've been very fortunate to have that experience.
3: I think it would be so helpful to have a friend who uh, was a heart specialist doctor, so I'm not going to call you on a regular basis, but I am curious, you know, you talk about the twinges you might feel or the different aches and pains a person might have and and when to make that call to 911 or when to go to the doctor. Is is there a defining moment in whatever someone might be experiencing when it comes to their heart where they, they, they choose the ER over their physician? Like, How do I know when I need to go immediately?
11: I think that's a really good question. And I often tell my patients with heart disease that if this is the first time you're experiencing something that is severe, that takes your breath away, that stops you from doing what you're doing and pause, then that is concerning enough that you should call 911, you should get urgent care. Um, not going to urgent care, but to, to get emergent care. Um, whereas if it's something that's reliable and happens, you know, regularly, every time you take a deep breath, it feels a certain way. Every time you have hot, spicy food, it feels a certain way. That's something that can probably wait for you to see a healthcare professional. But one thing that I, I do think is important to bring up is that a lot of the time that patients come and they're, they come late, they come hours or days after their chest pain starts. And I ask them why. One of the most common reasons is they didn't want to be a bother. They didn't want to be an embarrassment. They had other things. People depended on them. They didn't want to waste their time. And that is really something the Dow Don't Drive campaign is going to try to change because I think that um, it's important for patients to know we are here for them. The, you know, the doors are always open. We're always happy to help. There's a large team of people that are um, ready and waiting and, and happy to, um, always happy to, to treat whatever is happening.
1: Yeah, I think that was a great question, Lorraine. I just had one of my best friends uh, back in uh, Vernon just went through this. Uh, he's in his mid-50s and and had some chest pain. And a week later, he was in the hospital, and it turned out he had had a heart attack the week before. So lots of conversation for us to have tomorrow, Dr. Lou. Thank you very much for this preview, and I look forward to our discussion tomorrow.
11: Thank you. Talk to you tomorrow.
1: You betcha, Dr. Lu joining us tomorrow for our Health Report 2.0 with Dr. Shuangbo Lu. We're going to discuss the differences between men and women, the different uh, age groups, how you might be experiencing chest pain, and why it's critical that you call for an ambulance as opposed to driving yourself to the Mm. hospital we're going to hammer that home and of course Brett, the differences between men and women the women's heart health uh, initiatives uh, that have taken place across this country and around the world are fascinating so that'll be noon to one tomorrow on zoom and if you'd like to join and register for that just shoot us a text message 780-6868 and i'll send you the link
2: couple of runners up, as usual, and then our winner. And uh, what did, Loren, what did Ron have to say?
3: Okay, so Ron says, My hidden talent was when the Smothers brothers did the yo-yo tricks. I got into a yo-yo, breaking windows, hitting people, but had a blast. I still have my yo-yo from 40 years ago. I have some wooded ones and some sparkling ones. My daughters play with them. I can walk the dog, do the around the world and the bridge. But when the string broke and smashed the walls, my dad would then take the yo-yos away. Yeah, that's a talent. Like, I only ever could make the yo-yo just basically go up and down, uh, maybe twice. Like, and then it would just stop. Kind of like the hula hoop. I never figured out the hula hoop.
2: Yeah, I, 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 I would... I was okay with a yo-yo, but, um, yeah, I would, I would always get the string tangled up. Uh, but our winner is Carol. we only got a minute here, so I'm just going to rip through this. Carol, congratulations. And here's the story Carol has for us. Uh, says, she says, here's something I should actually take up again now that my vision has improved. After cataract surgery, my talent was sewing. At one point, it made everything. Winter coats down to underwear. Really enjoyed home ec classes. Well, not cooking back then. At Sergeant Park. And then, G-Mac at Daniel Mac that's right this did not play into our decision in any way just want to make that clear (laughs) my favorite teacher she says was miss baker she taught sewing even before my aunt went to daniel mac in the 50s my sister took advantage of my talent when she was at Sargent park after elementary at clifton we were never in the same school at the same time so i completed her major project which was an orange hoodie i did such a good job that she failed the course because the teacher recognized my handiwork <laughs> there is a huge fabric store in Portage at St James called Shea Cloth. I saved a lot of money on clothes when I started working in law firms and started traveling. And I think sewing supplies might be harder to find these days. But you have inspired me, says Carol. So Carol, congratulations. You're going to see Rick Mercer. Uh, sorry, your 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 work was too good that your sister failed.
3: If you like to read and it's a cold day, it lets your mind go somewhere else, but also you can learn about something else. And I was just reading and learning on globalnews.ca how this is particularly important in the Indigenous community in winter. The story involved a knowledge keeper who said that in winter, particularly back in times, you know, decades ago, you might be sharing a home, Uh, kids would sit down with their grandparents and learn. And that happened more often in winter because you'd be curling up maybe by the fire or what have you. So oral history was extremely important then. And there's a real effort now in many communities to learn and share more about oral culture, Greg. No
1: question about it. And this this morning is part of I Love to Read Month. We have two guests who are working to create a cycle of historical picture books. We're joined now by Warren Cario, co-lead of the team, for the six seasons project good morning warren
6: good morning good to be here
1: we appreciate your time immensely and with warren is william dumas who is also a co-leader of the story team and author of the book the gift of the little people good morning william
7: good morning thanks for having us
1: well, you know, this is such an important month, and and Lorraine touched on this this idea of the value of of oral storytelling and passing on our stories from gen- generation to generation. How important it is to to all of us, no, you know, no matter the culture. But 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 William, talk a little bit more about why that's so important uh, in Indigenous culture, and what is the story team all about and what are you doing?
7: One of the reasons why we do these stories is to, uh, I think, honour the tradition of the storyteller. Like the gift of the little people is a story that was shared to me by my uh, my father. And uh, with that story, I, I thought many stories that we have now, we thought, well, you know what? We should share this with a larger population because most of these stories have never been heard in a larger community. Some of these stories are family stories. Some of them are community stories. But in the end, when these stories were told, language was the first key. To understand the language was very crucial. And that's how we started listening to stories, understanding them, what they were about. And now we're at that stage With we want to share them with people who care to read these beautiful stories.
2: Warren, why is it so important to you know in terms of the that learning of the oral history uh why do you think that it's important that there be uh, such a keen focus on that
6: well in indigenous communities and you know specifically this is the rocky creek community that uh, that this story comes from uh the stories really contain so much of the the teaching so much of the knowledge of that of, the, of those communities and uh, you know, as you know, as William alluded to, you know, um, that's important that the younger generations uh, learn those stories. And, you know, of course, there are many other uh, things that people like to do today. They watch movies, they 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 uh, maybe play video games. But I think a book is another way that we can help to um, to pass those stories on to the next generation and keep that knowledge uh, circulating and keep it, you know, a really important part of people's lives. So I think it's just as important now as it was in, in the old times.
3: So, Warren, part of your work at the U of M involves a focus on oral culture, but you're also with this uh, story team, the Six Season Projects. Can you tell us a bit about it? Like, what is it? What does it involve and what's going on with it?
6: Yeah, the Six Season Project is um, headquartered at the University of Winnipeg with a number of uh, of my colleagues uh, there. And uh, we've got uh, other uh, scholars from other parts of of Canada as well. And we're all uh, working together to help um, William and other Rocky Cree community members to, uh, to document their, their oral history, but also then to, you know, to create books that are focused on young readers. And we were fortunate to get a grant from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council to work on this project for seven years. So, uh, so we've been uh, having a great time and just learning so much in that process. And uh, it's, uh, it's been really a humbling process for us.
1: William, I was very close uh, to my grandfather growing up all through and till he passed away just almost a decade ago now. And there was nothing like hearing him tell a story about growing up in St. James and and the mischief him and his friends would get into or the stories of of, of the different adventures he'd had in his lifetime. and And we would all sit around, just listen to him tell these stories. Talk a little bit about the stories you, you, your dad w- would tell you about, and and his ability to convey the past, whether it was his personal history or maybe maybe something further back in 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 collective history.
7: The uh, storytellers that were in South Indian Lake at the time were just amazing. They were amazing storytellers, and we didn't have any TVs. Uh, We had a radio that we listened to periodically, very little literature to read. So our oral history, our oral stories were shared to us by the storytellers. And uh, we had so many storytellers in the community that were, it was like going to visit this old man and listen to a story of a historical account and maybe Some time down the road, listen to the story of IAS and just filling us up with these stories. And uh, as the language started to disappear, many knowledge keepers, Rocky Creek people said, well, the stories are in the language. We should Mm. translate them and share them because who knows when we're gone, maybe there will be nobody that remembers these stories.
2: Our guests are Warren Cario, co-lead of the story team for the Six Seasons Project, and William Dumas, who is co-leader of the story team and author of the book, The Gift of the Little People. We're discussing I Love to Read Month. And William, what what is it about the act of, of a parent reading to their child? You know, it's such a simple thing, but it's such a powerful thing. Uh, why do you think that is?
7: In my home, because I got a couple of books already out, in my home, I can experience from uh, my own children. They really get into these books. And like Saturday, my daughter came in to visit and saw the book, The Gift of the Little People. Mm. She took her 13 year old daughter to the bedroom and read the book to her about the gift of the little people. And she took that book. And this week she's gonna be sharing it with great students in Grand Rapids, Manitoba. So that bonding of storytelling is still there. Yes, it's in book form, but at the same time, we still teach our children to listen, to visualize, to cognitively process and share. So it's a teaching tool for us, but it's also a bond with our children and grandchildren.
3: The book involves a... Elder who's trying to help people pass on to the spirit world, but also help people to trust more in traditional teachings, traditional healing methods, and and Warren, I want to ask you when it comes to going back to things that were done, you know, decades or even centuries ago. What's the is there more excitement and more willingness within not just the indigenous community but the community as a whole to try to go back to things that we had about about the fact that there's so much to still be learned that we haven't been able to learn. And I'm curious what you're hearing from people when they say, "Wow, that's so cool" or "That's so great," or "I want to," I want more of this? What's the appetite?
6: Yeah, I really think that's true. I think uh, right now, you know, we see this in Indigenous communities really across the country, uh, an increase in, you know, in interest in, in learning more about the old traditions and the ways of, of, of uh, surviving on the land and thriving on the land, uh, and also really interest, again, coming back in learning the language because, you know, the Indigenous languages hold so much of that knowledge too. Uh, so it's a time of, I think, uh, of real uh, hope and possibility, Um, You know, there's been a lot of of really difficult things that Indigenous people have had to uh, survive through, but but their cultures are still strong. And I think the, uh, uh, you know, the stories and and people's interest in in learning those stories now and in in learning, um, you know, ways of of being on the land... um, you know that that interest is is just growing, and I'm really expecting it to continue.
1: William, uh, really quick, I know this is going to be uh, tough to answer quickly, but the value of understanding where we each come from—we've been discussing this this morning about how do we either reconnect or connect with people we haven't otherwise connected with—and that's been made really difficult over some divisive issues over the last couple of years. The value of understanding me, understanding your story or hearing your story the ability or the improved odds of of you and i connecting by you sharing that with me
7: i am one of the people that believe in reconciliation it's going to take some time but we need to start somewhere we need to start communicating and talking with each other and sharing our beautiful teachings with one another from different nations and i do that when i meet uh, people of a different culture I have conversations with them about their culture, and I learn about them. So people to understand how our stories are woven, I think it's very crucial that we start listening to each other. Yes, for a lot of people, they say it's a long ways off reconciliation. But for me, we need to start somewhere. And the word is in a good way.
2: Well, William Dumas, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about this story, team, and the gift of the Little People book. We appreciate this, sir. Thank you very much. And Warren Cario, co-lead of the story team for the Six Seasons Project, thank you as well. We appreciate this. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think.